The other day I was watching a TED talk given by an EMT a first responder and he was describing kind of the scenes and the conversations that he would have with uh, victims who were kind of near the end of their life. He would show up upon a scene, a car crash or a motorcycle accident, some kind of just heart-wrenching, gut-wrenching just scene of brutality and violence and he would be trying to treat and give care to these individuals in their final dying moments of life and what he was describing was the conversations that he would often have with them. Inevitably this really haunting question they would ask him as they stared up to him as he's trying to provide and give care to them and they would ask him, am I dying? And he was talking about the journey that he's been on trying to learn how to answer that question. But in the process of this conversation that he was sharing in this TED talk, he was talking about how the most common responses to his answer to the question, I am dying, uh, were either regret or gratitude. He would go on to say that once the individual found out that indeed that they were dying, that they were close to the end of their life, Uh, there was a population, a percentage of them who would begin to express all of this kind of guilt and remorse and regret about the way that they had lived their lives, the way that they had spent their time, the way that they had directed and focused their energies and the the meaning of their life had been applied in, in their own admission, oftentimes to the wrong places. These kind of regrets and admissions and confessions would come in the form of, I wish I had spent more time with my family or my children or my loved ones. I wish I would have been a better son or a better daughter. I wish I would have been a better sibling or a better husband or wife. And, and the EMT was describing just how difficult it was to hold the space in these conversations as these people described the regret of their life. He mentions that nobody kind of acknowledges and boasts pridefully about the accomplishments that they achieved in their life. No one says, I know I'm close to death, but you should have seen the career that I built. I know I'm close to death, but you wouldn't believe about kind of the, the amount of money that I was able to earn over the course of my lifetime. Or you wouldn't believe how popular I was and how many people knew my name. No, these were not the things that people expressed at the end of their life. Oftentimes, these were the, the sources of their greatest regret and disappointment that they had misspent their life. In contrast to that, the CMT described about how there was another section, another population and percentage of the people that he would treat and give care to who described with such gratitude their love for their loved ones, for those in their family, for their friends, about how grateful they were for the amount of time that they had, about the way that they had spent their life. There was a sense of peace a sense of satisfaction, a sense of joy and contentment about the way that they had lived their life. Even those who their death was maybe going to be untimely, that they were younger in age. And so they were still expressing that while they didn't get to live the fullest of life that they had hoped to live, that there was still a contentment and a peace about the way that they had chosen to live their life up until that point. And this kind of this description by this EMT about these two categories of people stuck with me because it is kind of one of the, the my greatest fears, one of the thoughts that haunts me the most is uh, I'm afraid at the end of my life I'm going to get to that point and look back on my life and realize that maybe I've wasted it, that I haven't spent it wisely and be stuck with this overwhelming sense of regret and hopelessness because at that point I'll have realized that it's too late to go back and do anything about it. And so I think that maybe you feel similarly to me. Maybe you find yourself kind of wrestling back and forth about the nature and the way that you're living your life and the way that you're spending your efforts and your energies. And my, my sense is that we all kind of fear that 
we might end up in the regret category and we would, we would much rather end up in the gratitude category that at the end of their life we want to be glad for the way that we've lived it. We want to be proud of the way that we spent our time and our efforts and our energies. But we're not really sure exactly which category we may fall in. I see so much of this in the striving and the bustling and the busyness and the anxiety and the stress that we kind of carry with us each and every day because we don't know what are the right things to pursue, what are the wrong things to pursue, how should we direct our energies in our life, which decisions are important, which decisions aren't important, which relationships we should prioritize, which ones we shouldn't. Should we take this job? Should we not take this job? Should we marry this person? Should we not marry this person? Which school should our kids go to over the other school? There's all of these questions that we are wrestling with and agonizing over that leave us awake at night kind of running through scenario after scenario in our head because ultimately I believe that at the end of the day, we want to make sure our lives count for something. We want to make sure that we did it right, that we got it right, that we made the right choices, that we lived a good life, a meaningful life, a significant life. And there's a little bit of uncertainty and a little bit of confusion about how to know whether or not we're getting closer to that goal. And so the words that I want to share to you today from the Gospel of John, they come from Jesus' mouth. And to me, I find them incredibly life-giving. I find them incredibly hopeful. And they bring me a sense of peace and comfort, knowing about what it's going to look like, how I can move closer to living a life of purpose, living a life of meaning, living a life that satisfies that fear of whether or not my life counted for something. It's a way to live a life that truly matters and to have evidence for it at the end of your life. And so we're going to be reading out of the 15th chapter of John, starting in verse 1. Jesus says this. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You have already been pruned by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit because apart from me, you can do nothing. What I love about these words as we begin to look at them together in our time is the way that Jesus gives us a sense of assurance that there is a way to make sure that our lives count for something. He goes on to describe this type of fruit later in this chapter about fruit that lasts, about a, a fruit that is full of meaning and significance and of purpose, because ultimately he's describing the results and the efforts of, a, of the course of our life. And so what I love about these words that Jesus tells us is he kind of lays out for us what it would look like, what it will take how to get a life that matters, how to know at the end of your life that you won't be sitting there on your deathbed holding a pile of regrets, but rather you'll be able to express all of the gratitude for a life well lived. I think in this, there are some kind of nuggets of truth, some things that I want to unpack throughout our time together. And so we just start at the very beginning when Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine grower. Jesus kind of acknowledges that there's likely a variety of options of vines that we can connect our life into. 
And he's suggesting that of all of the options available to us, he is the one that leads us to life. There are other counterfeit vines. There are other vines that we can connect into, ways that we can live our life, sources of meaning that we can uh, assume for our lives. But ultimately, what Jesus is saying here is that there's only one true source. There's only one true vine that we should be able to tap into. And so what we see is when we do that, we can find this sense of hope and peace and joy that the writer of the Gospel of John calls eternal life, but it's only found in the true vine. C.S. Lewis, Christian writer, theologian, and author, he says this. He, he writes that God has designed the human machine to run on himself. God himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn or the food our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. That is why it is just no good asking God to make us happy without bothering about religion. God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. C.S. Lewis is writing kind of in reflection of this teaching that Jesus gives us in in this passage in John, acknowledging that Jesus is the true vine. And it's when we tap our lives into him, we connect our lives into him that we were able to experience that hope, peace, and joy that he offers us. In verse two, he says this, Jesus goes on, he says, he removes every branch in me that bears no fruit and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so that it can bear more fruit. See, there's a process that Jesus is acknowledging, a pruning effect that can happen in our lives that leads from fruit to more fruit. And he goes on to say that you have already been pruned by the word that I have spoken to you. And so what we can see from this is Jesus is describing the process in which our lives are shaped and molded and formed. He describes that the words that he has given us, his logos, his teaching, his example, the things that he has shared with us in the course of his life, these are to have the effect of pruning shears on our kind of metaphorical plant of life. They're able to help us cut back from the things that aren't important, that aren't meaningful, that don't lead to life and lead to growth, to allow the other things to grow and prosper. That's why sometimes when we read scripture, we hear Jesus's words that they're sharp and they're cutting and they reveal to us ways that we need to adjust and conform our lives better to the example of Christ. This is the effect that he's trying to have in our life. This is the slow process of what can be understood as sanctification the way that our lives are molded and shaped in the example of Christ but they only come when we listen to his word when we follow in his example when we begin to make decisions based on the teachings of Jesus the example in which he lived his life the life that Jesus offers us is only available to us when we begin to live the life and the lifestyle that Jesus models himself and so My question for you is maybe what are the places in your life that that God is trying to prune, that Jesus' words are trying to prune the ways that you've been starting to wrestle with the implications of maybe some scripture reading that you've done recently or a sermon that you've heard, ways that it feels like it's sharp and it cuts and it begins to kind of cause you to rethink the choices that you're making or the categories and values that you are prioritizing in your life, maybe the relationships that you're engaged in or pursuing, what are the ways that God's word is beginning to work in your life, trying to reform you and reshape you closer towards the mold and the example of Jesus Christ? What are those areas? 
In what way is maybe God pruning you? Jesus goes on. He says in verse 4, he says, Abide in me as I abide in you. Now, for many of us, when we hear this word abide, we clearly think of the big Lebowski and the dude because the dude abides. But I don't think that's what Jesus is trying to get at. And I'm not sure that's what the Cohen brothers are trying to get at in the big Lebowski. But when Jesus says, abide in me as I abide in you, there's this word that has a couple of implications, a couple of meanings. In, in one sense, it means to stay connected. And so as we understand it in the way that he's using it with the vine, you can imagine the way that branches are connected physically to the vine. This is what this word abide in me means. It means stay connected to me. Stay close to me. This other idea, it means to remain. Don't depart. Don't go anywhere else. Don't go searching for other things to connect your life to. And then the last way this word abide can be used or understood is this idea of dwell. To, to stay in this place. This kind of this understanding of where we get the word abode from. You know, my humble abode is a living place, a place where somebody dwells and spends their life. This is this idea. So Jesus is kind of using this, this word to create this picture filled with all of these different layers and different meanings of how we're supposed to stay in relationship to him. It's this idea that we dwell with Jesus. We remain in Jesus. We stay connected to Jesus. We can make our home in him. And in the process, he promises that when we make our home in him, he makes our home in us. It's this very intimate relationship that Jesus is trying to communicate here to his disciples in this conversation. He's saying, listen, you have to abide in me. You have to stay in me. This is something that we do through a series of choices. It's kind of the direction of the spiritual disciplines is to create space for us to, to rest in, to dwell in, to remain to stay connected to God. That's why in our essentialism series a couple of months ago, we begin to talk about these different practices that you can use in your life because it allows us to abide in Jesus. And when we abide in Jesus, the promise is, is that he abides in us and he begins to shape and to form and to mold our life into the example of his. He continues on in verse four, just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, Neither can you, unless you abide in me. So Jesus is describing that, listen, the only way that there is fruit that the branch bears is when it stays connected to the vine. Now, we all kind of all know this to be logically true. If you take an apple tree and you cut a branch of the apple tree off and you hold it out there and you wait for apples to grow off that branch, they're never going to grow. Why? Because the branch is not connected to the tree, to the plant, to the source of where the life comes from. Jesus is communicating the same thing about our own lives. So when we think about a life of purpose, when we think about a life of meaning, of deep kind of depth and maturity and satisfaction and contentment, a life of hope and peace and ultimately a life of joy, Jesus is saying, listen, unless you remain connected to me, unless your branch is connected to me, the vine, those things are never going to manifest in your life. You're never going to experience them. And I think that that's what I see so often in our society and in our world is people pursuing the fruit without staying connected to the source. We chase after all of these things and we try to manifest and manufacture all of these good things in our lives, all of this meaning and all of this purpose, but it never lasts. 
It ultimately falls short. It never truly satisfies. It never brings us the peace. It never uh, creates the cessation of anxiety or stress or worry in our life because it's not based in a deeper, truer source that's connected to God. St. Augustine, in his kind of famous work, The Confessions, he writes this, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. This is the sense, I think, that Jesus is trying to communicate with this idea about abide in me as I abide in you. And just as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Our hearts are restless. We can chase after and try to manufacture all of the fruit that we want in our own life. But it'll never last. It'll never satisfy. We will stay restless and anxious and fretful and worried and have sleepless nights and never have a confidence in the decisions that we're making, whether they're right or wrong or lead us closer to a life of meaning and purpose. We'll never have that unless we find our rest in God, unless we dwell in Christ, unless we abide in him and we allow him to abide in us. You see, this restlessness, it's a desire to be filled and fulfilled. And we all have it. And we all pursue different choices and uh, directives in life because we are searching for this fulfillment and this fulfillment. And so we are trying to find a way to find peace, find contentment, to find purpose and meaning in this life. But the only way to be filled and the only way to be fulfilled is to be connected to the source, to abide in him, and to allow him to abide in us. And then Jesus goes on and ends here in verse 5, at least for our time together today. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches, and those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit, because apart from me... You can do nothing. Now, what I think is interesting in this description is there is a movement that Jesus paints throughout these verses when it relates to the fruit, when it relates to the results, to the evidence of a life of meaning and purpose that we can experience. And the movement is from producing fruit to then being pruned. In the process of pruning, the process of exposing ourselves to Christ's word to allow it to shape and form our lives, that leads to more fruit. And then we get to a place where we can abide in Jesus, we dwell in him, we rest in him, we find all of our meaning through his life. When we abide in him and he in us, it leads us to producing much fruit. This is kind of the process of Christian formation. It's a a beginning to kind of enter into a relationship with Christ and that produces fruit in our life. And then as we expand and grow in our relationship with Christ, as we expose ourselves to his word, both kind of the written word and the spiritual word, as it forms us and shapes us, it prunes us and allows us to experience more growth. And this growth leads us to a place of producing more fruit, more evidence of a deep and meaningful life connected to God. And as we do that, we begin to learn how to rest in God to find our sense of fulfillment and meaning and significance in God, not in any of the other places that we can pursue. We stop being so restless and find our rest in him, which leads 
to producing much fruit. So it's this movement from fruit to more fruit to much fruit. Again, this is kind of this process and pathway of Christian formation as we draw deeper into the person of Christ and deeper into relationship with him. Now, I think there's some interesting notes about the different types of fruit that we can produce in this life. Kind of staying in kind of this metaphorical kind of uh, sense, we all recognize that only a certain type of tree can produce a certain type of fruit. You cannot get any type of fruit from any old tree. If you want apples, you have to go to an apple tree. If you want oranges, you have to go to an orange tree. If you want pears, you have to go to a pear tree. The same is true in our own life. If we want deep and meaningful, lasting fruit, fruit of significance, there's only one source that it can come from. This is kind of what the Apostle Paul writes in Galatians when he's trying to describe to the church what the result of a spiritually formed life looks like. He describes the spiritual fruits, the fruit of the Spirit is what he calls them. And this is what he describes as the fruit of the Spirit. This is the result of a life that has abided in Christ, that has lived in Christ, that has found its source and connection in Christ. This is what he describes about that fruit. He says the fruit of the Spirit is love. It is joy, it is peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Are you experiencing those fruit in your life? Are those the marks of your life that you notice? Are those the characters and the qualities of your relationships? Is it marked by love and by joy and by peace? Do you find yourself growing in patience and in kindness with others around you? Do you feel a sense of goodness and faithfulness growing? Are you becoming more gentle and more self-controlled in this life? See, Jesus describes this formation process that we can go through where we move from fruit to more fruit to much fruit. And so that should be the indicator and the telling sign to us if we are moving in the right direction, if we are actually truly connected to the source. We will see an abundance and an increase in the fruit in our lives. We can't gain this fruit from any other pursuits. We can't find this fruit in any other means or endeavors, any of the kind of self-directed pursuits that we can find in this life through career achievement or through relationships or through any of the ways that we try to live perfect in and of it for ourselves. No, this only comes when we connect ourselves to Christ because the opposite of the spiritual fruits is kind of what I would call the self-centered fruits, which you could describe as the rotten fruits. This is kind of the antithesis to all of this fruit of the Spirit. It would be anger and jealousy and bitterness, envy, greed, slothfulness, deceit. These are just some of the characters and the indications that you are not producing the right kind of fruit and thus likely not connected to the right vine. And so it gives us an opportunity for a little bit of kind of self-assessment, a little bit of honesty and vulnerability as we begin to try to name the fruit that we experience in this life. Is it love and joy and kindness? Is it peace and patience, faithfulness, goodness, gentleness, self-control? Or is it anger and bitterness and greed and envy? What are the things that you are noticing pop up in your life? And maybe what is that telling you 
about where you're connected to, the source that you are finding for your life. The fruit that we produce is an indication of the tree or the vine that we're connected to. If you notice only oranges in your life, it is likely the case it's because your branch is connected to an orange tree. If all you see is apples, it's because you're connected to an apple tree. If all of the fruit that you experience in your life, all of the result of your efforts and striving and work is anger and frustration, stress and anxiety, worry and fear, it gives you an indication of where you're connected. But there's a way for us to experience different fruit in our life. Fruit of, this, of the Spirit, as Paul would describe it. And that's to connect ourselves to Jesus, to find our rest in Him. I think the thing that I love most about Jesus' teaching is how freeing this feels to me. Because it is my own inclination, it is my own kind of desire to want to do it all myself, to be it all myself, to strive and to work and to earn and to achieve and to accomplish and to go, go, go and do, do, do and kind of make sure that I force things into existence that I believe are good to create fruit with my own hands. And Jesus is saying that is not the way to produce fruit that lasts. All you'll end up doing is creating rotten fruit and leading a life that ends in regret. And that's not what I want. And that's not what I want for any of you. At the end of our life, I don't want us to look back on our life and hold this overwhelming amount of regret. I want it to be this overwhelming sense of gratitude, of thankfulness, of appreciation, of joy, and of peace because it's a life well lived. And the way that we do that, my friends, is by connecting ourselves to the person of Christ. And so there are lots of ways that you can start this process. It can begin with a simple prayer. It can begin with daily prayer. It can begin with scripture reading. But mostly it starts with a willingness of heart to begin to stay connected to Christ. A willingness in your heart to want to abide in him. Because the promise is when you try to abide in him, when we begin to abide in him, he will abide in us. And so we don't have to try to white knuckle this and muscle this into existence to force all of this fruit to happen into our life. No, that's not what the promise is. And that's why I find it so, so peace-giving and so life-giving. The promise is not, hey, if you try harder, you can be a better Christian. If you try your hardest, if you work more, if you stay up later, if you read more scripture and spend more time on your knees and you just try to earn, 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 you can have this life filled with all of this wonderful fruit that lasts. That's not the promise. No, Jesus offers us something different. Come to me. Abide in me. Rest in me. Dwell in me. And as my life-giving spirit works through you and flows through you, it will create fruit in your life. It's not something that you have to do and try to earn it more or to try harder. This isn't a gospel of try harder. It's a gospel of rest and dwell and remain in me. And let me work in and through your life. And I think that's good news for all of us today. Let me pray for our time together. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that in you we can find life. We can find a fullness of life and we can begin to live a life that matters, that counts for something more than just our own directives and our own interests. God, help us to find how to abide in you. 
And God, we invite you to abide in us so that we can be formed more into the example of you and experience fruit that truly lasts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.